In 1 Kings and chapter 5, we read again of how King Solomon commenced the great work of building the temple, the house of the Lord. In verse 1, we read, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father. For Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David my father could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God have given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. And behold, I purpose to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God as the Lord spake unto David my father saying, Thy son whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. Solomon, David's son, with Hiram here, whoever loved his father David, built a house unto the name of the Lord. He built that house, that temple that David desired to build, but could not because of the wars which were about him on every side. But the Lord, as promised, enabled Solomon and put it in his heart as in his father's heart to build this house. And in chapter 5 we see how Solomon, with Hiram's help in providing timber from Lebanon, cedars and fir trees, commences this great work. As they begin to gather the timber and to hew the stone and bring it to Jerusalem and build. And over the course of the following chapters, over the course of the next years, this great work was achieved. This tremendous building with this great craftsmanship, these great timbers carefully carved, these great stones carefully hewn, all the gold that overlaid them, this great work was built. And there was nothing like it in the earth, this tremendous house which was built unto the name of the Lord in which the Lord met with the people of Israel, in which the people came and gathered, in which the priests came and offered sacrifices. This meeting place of God and men. But as we know from the scriptures, this tremendous building is but a picture. This house, this temple, was simply a figure, a glorious and majestic figure to illustrate the majesty of what it depicted. But a figure, a picture of Christ himself, the temple, his house, his church, the church of Jesus Christ, the temple of God, a picture of Christ and his people united as one, 
gathered as one. A picture of Christ into whom his people are brought, in whom they are gathered, in whom they meet with God their Saviour. This is a picture of Christ, the Son of God, and the house, the temple that he built, that he built through the battles on every side, the warfare on every side that David experienced, that Christ built in the battles on every side as he laid down his life upon the cross, and that he built as he rose victorious from death, victorious from the grave, rising again in victory, entering into that rest of which Solomon's reign was but a picture, entering into rest with his people, having taken away their sin, having taken away the transgression, having washed them clean through his own blood. They enter into this rest and enter into the, into the temple of Christ, the house of God, to ever live and worship with him. It's this temple that Solomon built was a wonder in all the world. But it was a wonder because it pictured that which is wonderful, Christ himself. We read in John chapter 2 how Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The temple that stood in Jerusalem, which Solomon built, in which the Jews put such trust, and in which the Jews had such confidence that when they entered there physically, they were meeting with God. That was but a picture. The temple was Christ, and he stood before them. And when he was destroyed, as it were, when he laid down his life upon the cross, when they crucified him, when they put him to death, in three days he rose again. In three days that temple was raised up an everlasting temple, an eternal house in which all his people will be gathered forevermore. Yes, God said unto David, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. That son in time was Solomon. But Solomon was but a picture of that son which would come later, the seed of David, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Thy son Christ, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. The house is Christ. 
and he shall build. The building of this house, this eternal house of God, the true house of God, of which the temple on earth was but a figure. The building of this house is all of God. He shall build an house unto my name. It's all of God, all of Christ, all of grace, all through his gospel. He built this. He built this house by dying. He built this house by laying down his own life in the place of sinners. He built this house by being crucified, brutally put to death, by being nailed to a cross. He built this house by suffering. He built this house by shedding his blood. He built this house by enduring the wrath of God against the sins of his people. He built this house through death, through burial, and through resurrection. Oh, how he built. And what a house he built. Hence, as we saw before, the battles of David on every side, the wars which were about him on every side, what he went through in order that Solomon, in order that his son, should enter into rest and build this house. After the warfare came peace. But now the Lord my God have given me rest on every side, so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. And behold, I purpose to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. There is rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. O child of God, will you see this? Will you remember this? The work is done. When Christ laid down his life, when he bore the wrath of God for sin, for your sin, believer, when he cried out, it is finished, the penalty had been paid, Righteousness was brought in. The wrath of God was appeased. It was propitiated. There was no more to be done. All our enemies were conquered. Sin was destroyed. The curse of the law was satisfied. The penalty of the law had been paid. The curse was taken away. The judgment and wrath of God was exacted, there was no more judgment to flow down. Everlasting righteousness stood in its place. Everlasting righteousness was the result. God met our sins in righteousness, he judged them in righteousness, and having taken them away, all we have is the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. 
Our sins are no more. They cannot be found, though you search the whole world looking for them. Though you go from the east to the west, they are no more. It is finished, Christ said. There is neither adversary nor evil occurrence. There's not one spot or blemish in Christ's bride, in his church. Not one. There's not one sin that's not been covered. There's not one evil thought, evil occurrence that's been missed. It's all gone. And God has given Christ rest on every side and he's given his people rest on every side. In this temple, in this house that he brings them into, when he gives them faith to believe on him, when they see their sins blotted out by his blood, when they're brought by faith to behold their Saviour crucified in their stead, when they see him crying out, it is finished, they are brought to enter into rest. When he rose from the grave, they rose from the grave. When he ascended into the presence of his Father, they ascended into the presence of his Father. When he entered into rest, they entered into rest. Have you entered into this rest? Or are you still afar off, outside the house, viewing this temple from a distance, still full of your own sin and rebellion, still full of unbelief, is there yet war on every side? Do you yet have adversaries that would accuse and condemn you? Are you yet a stranger and a foreigner to this Saviour, to his house, to his kingdom, to his salvation. Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. And what a house it was. And what a house Christ's house is. An house unto the name of the Lord. He shall build an house unto my name. Solomon built a house, a dwelling place for God, a house in the name of God, where the name of God would be proclaimed, would be known, that this is the God, this is the one true and living God before whom we come. This is the one true and living God before whom we stand, with whom we must deal with whom we are accountable. That house spake of the need for the forgiveness of sins. It spake of the need for sacrifice in order for sinners to come into the presence of God. It was that place where there was a holy of holies in which there was a mercy seat. It was that place in which there was an altar upon which Sacrifices were slain and blood was shed. 
It's that place in which the priests would take the blood and take it unto the mercy seat and sprinkle it in order that God's wrath against the sins of his people would be satisfied. Central to this house is the need of sacrifice for sin. Central to the meeting of men with God is the need for man's sin to be dealt with, to be blotted out, to be washed away. We cannot just come into the presence of God. Sinners cannot meet with a holy God. We're guilty from head to foot. We must have righteousness. And the need for righteousness is at the very heart of this house which Solomon built. But it is that place in which God came and met with his people on the grounds of the offering of the sacrifice. They came through the priest, through the blood, in figure, into the presence of God. That blood, that offering, enabled them to meet with God. He built this house, this building, upon the earth. But it was just a figure. A figure of what we need. That we need to meet with God. And we cannot come into his presence except there is a sacrifice for our sin. Except blood be shed. Except there is righteousness the house of god you see is not physical we do not today come before god in buildings made with stone what solomon built in the temple was it was a building it was there on earth in jerusalem it was a majestic building It typified Christ in so many ways. The stone, the timber, the gold. The holy of holies, the altar, the sacrifice, the blood, the mercy seat. The veil. All pointed unto Christ. But that which was outward then was a picture of that which is inward now. At that time, the people went into the temple. They worshipped God in the building. They offered sacrifices there, at that place, at that time. Blood was sprinkled by the high priest upon the mercy seat. God met with his people. God met men there, at the temple in Jerusalem. And nowhere else. Man was forgiven in type and figure of his sins there in the temple. There was no other way to approach unto God. He commanded Solomon to build this place. He commanded how it should be built. He ordered all things. 
He brought in the priesthood. He ordered how the sacrifices should be offered. He commanded when and where they should be offered, how these things should be done. All was according to his righteous instruction. And there was no other way for people to come into the presence of God but this way. But all was but a figure for a time. This temple took 46 years to build. But it never lasted. After Christ's death, the temple was destroyed. Because that temple was but a picture of him who lasts forever. All is a picture of Christ. The house of God now is not a place, not a building in which we enter. It is not the church or the chapel or the meeting place in which we may gather first day by first day. It is not a place on earth. And to speak of it as such is to undermine the testimony of Scripture. It was, it is Christ. The temple was a building made of hands. But it's a building that pointed unto Christ that is made by the hand of God. God has built this house. He's built it in his son. He's built it through the shedding of his son's blood. He's built it by calling and gathering in sinners whom he washes in that blood, whom he unites in his Son. He's built it with that people whom he's called, whom, whom he's elected, whom he's chosen by grace before the foundation of the world. All those who are in Christ before they've ever been born as physically in this world, that people who are in his Son, for whom his Son died, for whom he suffered, for whom he gave his life, that people in Christ, gathered with him, united under him, are this temple whom he builds. Christ and his bride united as one. This is his temple, this is his house. And God dwells in this house, he dwells in this people. By his spirit he dwells within them. When his people gather in him, when they're in Christ, there he is. There he is in their hearts. What is it to come into the house of God? It's not to go to a building one day a week. It's not to go to a physical place. It's to come unto God in Jesus Christ by faith. Looking under his sacrifice, looking under his blood, looking unto your great high priest who's gone into the Holy of Holies, who's taken his own blood to the mercy seat and sprinkled it, who's cried out, it is finished, who's led us by faith through him, through his broken body, through the rent veil of his body, of which the veil of the temple was a picture through his rent body unto God himself. Oh, what a temple. Oh, what a house of God this is. 
but has God brought you into this house, into this temple, unto this priest, unto this God and Saviour? We meet God in him. We come into the house of God in him. We are in the temple in Christ. We meet God in Christ. We worship God in Christ. He is our high priest. He is our sacrifice. He is the mercy seat. He is the temple. He is the house of God. And his people are in him. He is all and he is in all. Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. A house where God is worshipped in spirit and in truth. The Jews went to their temple year by year as the Lord commanded. When Christ walked upon this earth, he went to the temple often. But there's a day that he went there and found money changers. And those who would make profit in enabling people to pay for sacrifices to be offered, there were those who had turned his house into a den of thieves whom he threw out. The scribes and the Pharisees, the priests of that day, went there physically. They were fastidious about following the letter of the law and doing things at the right time in the right way, but they knew nothing. They saw nothing of Christ in these things. It was all outward. It was all a form. When Christ came unto them, they rejected him. Here is the temple of which their temple was a figure. Here is the mercy seat. Here is the priest. Here is the sacrifice. Here is their saviour, their Messiah. And they cast him out and said, Away with this man. We will not have him to reign over us. Crucify him, crucify him. What of you? What of you is your worship? Is your religion but an outer carcass? Are you going to a building and calling it the house of God? Are you going there on a day and calling it the Sabbath, a picture of rest when you have no rest? Are you speaking of a Jesus that you do not know? Is everything outward with you? Or has God by mercy and grace met you and given you faith to see beyond the picture to the Saviour who gave himself for you? Do you enter in to that rest which is everlasting? Have you entered into that house that he has built? Has he taken you? Has he come and found you in your sin, in your blood, in your filth? Has he found you in your rebellion, in your unbelief and called you 
and cleansed you, washed you clean, clothed you, arrayed you in righteousness, and brought you into his house, and sat you down at his table, and given you to feast upon his gospel. Has God in Christ made himself known unto you? If he has, it will be he that does it. He shall build an house unto my name. All this work is of him. We play no part. Left to ourselves, we'd either be off in the world having nothing to do with him, or we'd be a scribe and a Pharisee having everything outward. Go into a place we call the house of God. Picking up a Bible we call the scriptures. Reading of a saviour that we do not know. Going through the motions. Speaking of keeping our Sabbath. Speaking of being in rest that we know nothing of. When we're dead in our sins and blind. And we do not know the Christ of whom all these things speak. We're in one of those two places by nature. In the darkness in the world. A heathen, knowing not God and having no time for him. Or in darkness in our religion, thinking we see when we are blind. These things are not outward, they're inward. Christ came not to call the righteous unto salvation, but sinners. He came to find those that know their sinners. He shows them by his spirit that they're sinners. And when they're found guilty, when they see themselves as wretched, when they cry out unto God, have mercy upon me, a sinner, then he makes himself known to them. Then he shows them his blood. Then he brings them spiritually by faith into his house and sits them at his table like poor Mephibosheth was sat at David's table. Go find this sinner, this lame, helpless sinner that can do nothing for himself and bring him into my house and sit him at my table. Has God come unto, this, unto you in his gospel? Has he sent a messenger to find you, a poor Mephibosheth, and bring you into his house? Bring you into his temple? bring you into the presence of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and sit you, and sit you down at the king's table. Has he given you all the riches of God in Jesus Christ? If he has, he's done it all. The lame cannot walk. When the command goes out to go to the temple at the given time, a Mephibosheth, lame on both feet, cannot get there. The blind cannot see. The deaf cannot hear. The dead cannot move from the grave. And that's all we are by nature. Until Christ, the Son, who builds the house, comes unto us in his gospel and calls us and leads us, and brings us in. He shall build an house unto my name. And Solomon built this house with timber and with stone. 
we read how he went to Hiram and Hiram promised to bring cedars of Lebanon and great fir trees. And they brought these cedars down by boat and they brought them up into Jerusalem and built. And we read of how Solomon's men hewed stone and brought these great stones and built them together. So they prepared timber and stones to build the house. Now this timber was not any ordinary timber. The wood from the cedars of Lebanon was greatly prized in the world at that time. There were no trees quite like the cedars of Lebanon. They were known for their durability. These evergreen trees, these aromatic trees, this aromatic timber was durable, it was lasting. David built his palace out of cedar of Lebanon. Solomon built his palace out of cedar of Lebanon. And the temple, rightly so, was built from the cedar of Lebanon. The tree was evergreen. In this it points to the everlasting, eternal nature of Christ. He's evergreen. He's life from beginning to end. He has no beginning. He has no end. Hence his house is built with an everlasting timber. These trees point to his death. Nailed to a tree. The tree of life. Christ himself was nailed to a tree. He was put under the law. He was nailed, as it were, to that tree of which we read in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which Adam ate of and which slew him. That tree, a picture of the law and the curse of the law, which entered into this world when Adam ate. That curse, that death, that came from sin. The effects of that tree, the law, nailed Christ to the tree of the cross. The sins of his people laid upon him brought condemnation upon his head. He was made guilty. He was made sin. And the wrath of God poured down upon him. But that death which he suffered upon that tree brought in everlasting eternal life to all his people. The tree of life lives forever. And it's the tree of life of which this temple is built. Greater than any cedar of Lebanon but of which the cedars of Lebanon were a picture. This aromatic tree, this sweet-smelling tree, points us to that sweet-smelling sacrifice of Christ. He was a sweet-smelling savour unto God when he offered himself up in the place of sinners. This timber from which the 
temple was built was from cedar and fir trees. Solomon spake, as we read in chapter 4 of 1 Kings, of cedars in his great wisdom, as an illustration of the great wisdom and knowledge of Solomon in chapter 4 we read that he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon even unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. Why did he speak of trees and of the cedar tree? Because of the wisdom that God gave him to know the meaning of the hyssop, to know the meaning of the cedar tree, to know that this tree with its evergreen, with its aroma, with its great durability pointed unto Christ. This was the tree which would be used for the temple. What a mighty tree, what a majestic tree. What a in figure an everlasting tree. Yes, he knew the significance of the cedar. In the law, in Leviticus, in Numbers, throughout the scriptures we read elsewhere of the cedar tree. The cedar tree was used in the sacrifices. As hyssop was and cedar, God commanded its use. We read in Leviticus 14, And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird, and with the running water, and with the living bird, and with the cedar wood, and with the hyssop, and with the scarlet. Because this word speaks of eternity. And we need an everlasting righteousness. Brought in through the blood of a sacrifice, Jesus Christ, to bring in everlasting life and righteousness. We need this righteousness. We need this wood, this tree of life. And Numbers 19.6 tells us, And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. Yes, we read of cedars throughout the scriptures. And Solomon knew their meaning. And he spake and wrote of them. And he used them in the building of this temple. Another thing about these cedar trees was that they were mighty trees, huge trees. They can grow up to 100 feet high with trunks up to 6 feet wide. They're mighty trees. They're also, if you see them, very wide trees. They have a great canopy, these great evergreen. They extend wide they're not just like the tall fir trees that grow upwards. These are a great high tree that spreads across an area. A picture of this tree of life, this great covering of Christ for his people. How he covers his people, how he shelters them, how he's over them all. How his blood covers all their sins. These trees grow in mountainous areas. High up from around 3,000 to 6,500 feet. They're, high, they're in the high mountains. And as such, they picture the meeting place of heaven and earth. They're trees that reach up and unto the heavens. They're trees that are high in the mountains where God, where the heavens meet the earth, where God, as it were, meets with his people. How suited then are these trees to the building of the temple? How rightly... 
Solomon sent for these cedars from the mountains in Lebanon to be brought to build upon the mount in Jerusalem, upon Mount Zion, to build this temple where God would come and meet with his people, where heaven and earth met. How mountains in the scriptures depict the righteousness of God. We read in Psalm 36, Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest man and beast. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Mountains depict the righteousness of God extending to heaven. And here these trees of cedar grow upon these great mountains. And again, the timber used in the temple points us to the cross. The wood of the trees hewn. The trees of righteousness. It points us to the cross where the carpenter Christ was nailed to a tree. Where the tree of life was nailed in figure by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by the law unto condemnation. Two trees in the garden of which these trees, cedar and fir trees in the temple are a picture, a reminder that Christ the tree of life is a temple that lives forever. But he is a tree. He is a one who knew death because of the breaking of God's law. Because of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the curse that came in through it. He is a tree of life that has sprung from death. They prepared timber and stones to build the house. Not only were these trees, these cedar, used, but stones were built. Stones a picture again of the law. Stones a picture of righteousness, of justice, of judgment at the cross. The wood upon which Christ was nailed met with the law, the stone the rocks of the law. The judgment of God met with Christ. It was meted out upon his Son. God outpoured his wrath against sin upon his own Son. Stone and wood met with the Son of God. But not only do these things depict the cross of judgment. They depict that upon which the temple of God, the house of God, is built forevermore. In the stone we see solidity, eternity, a sure foundation. We see Christ himself, the chief cornerstone, upon which the stones of his people are built, upon which they are built up, like the stones in the temple were built up. There was a cornerstone to this temple. All the stones which the craftsmen hewed and prepared and brought up 
and laid upon this chief cornerstone and upon the foundation. They arrayed carefully, they fitly framed them together, they built it up with craftsmanship. All a picture of the building of God, the building of his son when he takes his gospel and hews out a stone of his people, gathers them one by one as stones and arrays them and builds them up into one great house. Yes, we see they prepared timber and stones to build the house, trees, wood and stone. What a unity, what a coming together. What a oneness. And what a union and a league, a loving league was formed between Hiram and Solomon, that Hiram who loved David, who loved Solomon's father, this man who loved Solomon's father, who loved the son's father, brought the cedar, brought the wood that Solomon used with the stones gathered by his men to build this temple. What a unity we see here. What a picture of God's house built from Jews and Gentiles. Strangers and foreigners, citizens, all built, all united into one temple, of which we read in Ephesians 2. How we see these people, these things gathered together and united together. Believers are referred to in Ephesians 2 as living stones, fitly framed together. And elsewhere they are trees of righteousness. Together in Christ they're built by him, built by the Son as his house, in which he dwells by his Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? In Ephesians 2 we read, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. What a building. What a temple. What a saviour. What a salvation. Yes, Solomon, David's son, built... Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. He built. He took cedar of Lebanon. He took the fir trees. He took the stones. He took the gold. Over the following years, he built an house unto the name of the Lord. And what a house it was. What a house it was. How the world around saw this house. What a place it was that God met with his people in type and figure. But oh, what a picture. Oh, what a house Christ has built. Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. What a house he's built. Christ says elsewhere, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will build it, I will build my house. I've offered my own life. I've given my blood. 
I've brought the warfare to an end. I've brought in rest. It is finished and I'm building. I'm saving my people. I've saved them at the cross and I'm sending forth my gospel to gather them in, to bring in the stones, to bring in the cedars, to array them together, to unite them as one in me. Yes, Christ shall build his house. He shall build his church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It's sure, it's certain. It's built of timber and of wood. It is built on sure foundations. It is eternal. It's built with stones. It's his house. Living stones. Evergreen wood. A tree of life is in the midst of it. He built it. He builds it. He dwells in it. He is all and in all. Has God given you the eyes? Eyes of faith to see beyond the house of God on earth, to see beyond the physical, to see beyond the form, to see Christ in all. Has he come unto you in your sin and found you as a Mephibosheth, lame, weak, nothing, a sinner, lying in your filth, lying in your shame? Has he come unto you and said unto you, Behold my son, see the sacrifice upon the tree. See the high priest offering the sacrifice in your place. See him sprinkling the blood upon the mercy seat. See how he's gone into the Holy of Holies for you. See how he's come out victorious. See how he's risen. See how he's ascended. See how he's sat down victorious. See how there's rest on every side and there's neither adversary nor evil occurrence. The price has been paid. Righteousness is brought in. You are forgiven, sinner. Has God said that unto you? Are you one of his chosen, one of his living stones? Has he brought you in and laid you in the place in his house and made you to know? that you are in Christ, who is all in all, that his Son, Jesus Christ, has built an house unto my name. And are you a part of it? Is that where you are today? In his house. Amen.